0: Welcome to the Vine Street Property Podcast. We talk with entrepreneurs about property, business, and everything in between, providing you with a deep dive into their years of knowledge and experience to help kickstart your property journey. All right. So, Walter, how are you, my friend?
1: Very good, Jay. Thank you for having me today.
0: Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, So, With regards to this, like you've done so much in property in such a short period of time, Um, you're clearly very, very motivated. You know what you want, and you're not afraid to go at it. Um, I've listened to some of your other podcasts that you've done, and you, you know, you're a very, very hard worker. You put in the hours, and uh, you seem to be very, very focused. So, uh, before we get into all that, I'd I'd like to kind of uh, just jump back to when you first uh, started off, like even when you moved over to the UK for the first time. Um, what was the decision? Like, why, why, why the UK? Why did you see the, the UK as a place to, to go? From, from what, Portugal?
1: Yeah, so I was doing modeling, so I was doing modeling yeah. and uh, I wanted to kind of be an actor uh, to yeah. do that transition. Um, so then I was thinking about America and I was like, okay, America is good, but you know, because I couldn't speak English, so I decided I'm like okay if I come to the to, to the UK I'm sure the English is better than America so I'm like okay so I came to the UK so so my first goal was to learn English get to university um, and then you know pursue my career as an actor yep. uh, I you know got into uni um, first I went to drama school because you know uh, drama teach you how to perform um, stay in drama school for a couple of months drop out. Then went to uni drop out uh, again so yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> how, how did you find that process of learning a, a new language learning English how did you how, how was that process for you was it difficult or how did you go I'm,
1: about it I, I'm still learning English my friend I do grammar every weekend and uh, you know I you know I'm I, so I've been speaking English like four and a half years I, you know I, I, yeah. I think English is difficult it, language doesn't come natural to me I, I just you know put the put the hours and uh yeah but you know now i teach in england and uh i have consulting i consult people in in the uk and abroad so it's kind of weird yeah
0: very good very good so um what was the decision then so you you wanted to do acting and now you're doing very very well in property so what was the turning point where you decided to go down the property route
1: so I did my first year in uni and uh, I felt quite lost after first year. So I dropped out of drama school. I went to uni and I was feeling quite lost. So then in the summer, uh, in that year, I just started reading books. I started reading books because I was feeling lost. I was, I thought if I would go to uni, my life would change. So after first year, I felt lost to start reading. And then I read a couple of books. I read one book by Arnega, the autobiography. Uh, Arnold was explaining that he was an actor acting is very volatile, you know, changed a lot. So he decided to do uh, real estate. So then I was thinking, "Hmm, okay, so let me start reading some books in real estate. When I read some books in real estate, I just knew that I need to be involved in real estate. So then I decided why not doing real estate now, get the passive income or get the properties and then you know pursue my uh, my acting career so that's why that's what i'm doing my friend
0: very good and and you first started off down the deal sourcing route um so what made you choose that as a strategy
1: yeah so when i uh looked for property industry i was like everyone was kind of telling me go to rent to rent because the entrance uh, is easier you know it, you don't need as much money and remember I didn't have any money so for example I was so broke that I used the student loan to pay for my first course
0: right. uh,
1: you know which I don't recommend but it worked out for me um, and uh, and then I you know because I didn't have cash I was like thinking oh, I do sourcing or I do um, rent rent my objective always was do deal sourcing and then start buying. So then I was like, you know, uh, I wanted to do deal sourcing because, you know, I believe deal sourcing is a, is a strategy that any investor should know because, you know, it's like kind of buying businesses. You need to know what is a good business or not. Yeah. So it made sense for me to start uh, as a deal sourcer. So I started a deal sourcer, made 180,000, took that money and start buying properties. So then I went from zero to 2.5 million in my first year.
0: Brilliant. I mean, those numbers are phenomenal. And for a first year in a business to to make that amount of money is is phenomenal. But obviously, that comes with a lot of hard work. And as I said, like I've listened to some of your previous podcasts, and you have talked about working 100 hour work weeks. So that work ethic is, is absolutely massive. What gives you that drive? What gives you that, um, I suppose, like that stamina? to keep going and going and doing these 100 hour work weeks and things like that. I mean, even, th- even right now it's, uh, it's 7.40 on a Friday night. And before this podcast, you're in a meeting with a client.
1: So yeah,
0: just that as an example, I mean, you're not afraid of work.
1: No, I really enjoy working. Number one. Number two is, you know, I like to do these hundred hours. I do. I have a, you know, I have a lot of uh, apps that, track. So I do, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week. Uh, the reason why is I want uh, things to happen quicker. I don't want to be, you know, you, you, so because if someone works 14 hours and I work 100 hours, I can get, you know, twice, three times, you know, the work they will put in 14 hours. So that's why I believe. So I have rings to kind of, um, you know, see if I'm too tired. I have a chef. I, I basically I try to um you know work as hard as I can to achieve as fast as I as I can. So of course, you know, went from zero so I'm in business two and a half years, I went from zero I wanted to reach ten million this year. Um, went from zero to that, you know, you need to put the work, you know. I know people believe in these four hour work weeks, which might be true, but I do not believe that. I, I believe in, you know, putting the hours first. Create something and then you can uh, have the balance if you want to.
0: Yeah, 100%. And uh, just to get the results that you've achieved so far, obviously you needed a good team in place. So um, like how did you go about getting your team together and, and what was that process like? And I suppose even with that, like the systems around you know, developing the team and um, getting everything really streamlined to allow you to grow so fast
1: yeah one of the things every you know one of the things i know uh, very well about myself is my weakness and my strength mm-hmm. uh so for example i'm terrible in, in the decoration i think you know i would put the the bed or you know on the in the ceil- on the ceiling because i'm you know i'm not i'm not very good so i have Annabella. she's she's in my interior designer she's she she's amazing so she uh she deals with the builders she you know she oversees the project managing and then she does all of that so you need to know your uh, strengths and weaknesses so then i have for example elliot uh, you know you spoke with he's like marketing guy so i have maria so everyone has different strengths uh, and i know my strengths so for example i like to build systems i'm a more kind of a visionary but i'm very bad for example i'm not a really good manager so for example if i tell you I tell my team, do something I expect them to do. So I'm not kind of, have you done this? Have you done that? So mm-hmm. you just understand your, your strengths and weaknesses and, and having people in, uh, that allow you to achieve your goals. So have your goal very clear and have knowing like for example, uh, you know, Elliot will help me with few things that I'm not good at. So mm-hmm. that's the way I put my team and also have systems for, uh, to maximize these people.
0: Excellent. Um, so in regards to those systems and deal sourcing, um, can you talk through some of the systems that you use, how to source deals all, all throughout the UK? Because I know a lot of deal sourcers, they'll stick to a specific area, uh, but you do it throughout the whole of England. Um, can you describe how, how you do that and, and what systems you need in place to be able to do that?
1: Yeah, so a couple of systems I use. So I have a, a system, uh, one of the things so, that we used to spend a lot of time was stacking up deals. So I create a system that stacks up the deal automatically. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other systems I have is a CRM. The CRM, for example, if someone says no, a CRM stands from customer management relationships. So basically is, let's say, you know, I spoke with a vendor, I identify where the the problems are. I make an offer. The vendor says, do you know what? I don't accept. So the CRM will follow up six, seven, eight months with the vendor automatically. We'll send a letter, we'll send a text message, email, Uh, We remind me or someone in the team to call, we send a postcard. It does all of that automatically. So that allows you to not lose the deals, the leads that you got in contact with. Um, So then, you know, you know, stack up deals. Um, So these are kind of the systems that uh, made me kind of, uh, you know, mainstream. Other thing is, so for example, I have, software to identify if the area is good or not so as a deal sourcer you shouldn't you know if you source a bad deal that's it your reputation is gone so you need I have software to identify if the area is good or not for example I've been to Chester it's true but I haven't been for example to Manchester and I have sourced many deals in Manchester Mm. Um, but you know by before I've been to Chester I already sourced deals in Chester and and so so, and these systems helped me to do that yeah
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, so after that, so after your first year of deal sourcing, you made 180,000, over 180,000 in your first year. Um, you're now building your portfolio that's now at 2.5 million pounds. Um, 7 million now, yeah. What's it now? 7 million. It's at 7 right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did uh, 2.5 million. In the time because i've been into Simon uchi mastermind that's where i reached 2.5 was my first year i'm in my second now i'm in seven and i want to reach ten let's see if i can do we got coronavirus so, but let's see <laughs> you
0: have three months left to get to ten
1: yeah i have three months left i got a valuation today yeah. uh 450 so i'm very happy with that one so let's okay. see i have another three projects on the go yeah
0: lovely and uh, what's your main strategy around that are you looking at hmos singlets. i think it's more you you're more into the the hmos and, and the luxury uh style hmos i think is that right
1: yeah so my strategy is you know i also believe in kind of focusing one or two strategies and literally master that strategy because you need to have systems so i have systems to create luxury hmos and I have systems to do essays okay that's my only two strategies Um, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to commercial, but, you know, I I first need to get that, first my goal, then, you know, by the time I go to commercial, I have a very strong cash flow. Uh, I believe in cash flow. Most people, uh, you know, don't talk about that, but cash flow is very important, particularly um, in this time. So, if you, you know, property, if you don't have cash flow, you know, it can be, can it can be it. You know, you can lose everything. So cash flow is very important. So I believe the few years in property just focus on getting that cash flow in.
0: Yeah, yeah. So would, would you advise people starting off to focus more on cash flow than um, capital appreciation?
1: Yeah. So uh, I advise people to do kind of um, um, cash flow, yes, and then capital appreciation. The reason why is. So you will see now with the crisis uh, that a lot of people, they have very cash, uh, you know, they have a capsule. If they don't have the cash flow, they will need to sell, uh, you know, because they will be forced into sell. So if you have a very strong cash flow and then you go to capital appreciation, so you have that balance. And also the banks like that because the banks like, you know, the balance of cash flow and capital appreciation. So they keep on lending you money. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And uh, the properties that you're investing in now for cash flow, whereabouts should they be located?
1: So I have properties in London because they are purchase options. They give me cash flow by the time I exercise the cash flow of Uh So what I do I, I do, I buy four properties in the north, one in London. So that's my strategy. Um, so I do four, one, four, one, like kind of monopoly. Yeah.
0: Four to one. Perfect. No, That's excellent um so in terms of your future plans are you continuing to just look at hmos or do you think you might move on to some of the bigger stuff like bigger developments at any stage or are you just going to stick to um those two key strategies that you mentioned hmos and service accommodation
1: i so i think property is kind of a ladder so now i'm in hmo then i go to commercial after i go to commercial is where i go to development so first i'm what i'm doing Having a lot of developers, what happened is they, they, you know, they are very cash, uh, cash flow poor. So I don't want you to be in that situation. So and then you get the crisis, you can go bust, basically. So what I'm doing is focus just on cash flow. So I'm going to be uh, building my cash flow, then go to commercial where I do one or two projects, great systems first. And then I'm not even sure if I go to development at all. I'm not sure yet. I haven't thought about that. I think I'll stop with the commercial. Um, yeah, I think so.
0: No worries. No worries. Um, so I know you're big into education. Um, you're a very, very avid reader. You read a lot. Um, if you were to pick three books, what would be your top three books you would give someone? Say someone wanting to start off a business. They not even doesn't even have to be related to property, but... I suppose you could relate to even to to the mindset that someone needs to succeed in business, and I suppose you could look at deal sourcing as as a business because it is a business. Um, and, and what would be those type of books that you'd advise people to to read?
1: I would say uh, Slight Edge, um, Slight Edge definitely, because Slight Edge basically is a is a book to that talks about the discipline you need to have. Everything compounds, so the discipline you need to have daily. So, for example, let's, let's think about going to the gym. You can go to the gym today, uh, but if you don't go to the gym every single day, at least 30 minutes, you don't lose the weight. So Slight mm-hmm. Edge taught me about the discipline. So I was talking to Elliot today, and I was telling Elliot, uh, that discipline, if you put that discipline, uh, it just changed your life. Because it's, you know if you see athletes, uh, they are just very disciplined. They put the, the, the work. So Slight Edge... Definitely is one of the books. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kawasaki, I think, you know, yeah, I think it's a great book because, yeah, yeah, it's because it teaches the difference between, uh, you know, the quadrants, uh, self-employed, self-employed, business owners and investors. I think it's good. It's a kind of eye-opener and, uh, you know, for more advanced book, you know, this was one of the books I read this year that mind-blowing me. It's more advanced, I would say, The Principle by Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. um such a great book it's very advanced um but um yeah so if you start with the slight edge uh uh, reach that poor that maybe later on read um principle yeah
0: yeah yeah decent like and i mean it does you do need that discipline don't you to to be consistently putting in those hours and especially with deal sourcing because i mean you're going to come across like so much rejection offers being turned down uh vendors you know not responding nicely and things like that so it's that I suppose that resilience really that, that someone needs um, how did you how did you start with that like what was that feeling like say from the first I suppose for lack of a better word cold call to a vendor like what was that like that first kind of you know getting getting going and you know you're facing that rejection you know what's going to happen um, what was what was that like
1: yeah. So one of the things you have to understand about rejection, they are not rejecting you. They are je- rejecting the offer you made. So you don't take it personally. So for example, you know, you're kind of a doctor, you identify the, the problem, and then you give a solution. The solution might not be the solution they want. Therefore I'd never ever put like kind of, you know, first of all, I need to be very honest. English wasn't my first language. So to try to express myself in English was already a challenge uh so that was the, my first obstacle after I've done that I'm like you know what this is not personal I made an offer it doesn't accept you know I try to be as friendly as, pro- uh, as possible and I tell I sometimes I tell people look the offer I'm going to put I, I I know you don't going to like me anymore so I rather don't even put the offer and they're like no no no. just tell me what you want to offer so it's kind of it's like a game you know don't take it personal uh, personally don't and, and and just you know, it's just, you make an offer, and you know if it works for them, you know it's good. If it doesn't work for them, you know it's also good. So, and then you know I put in the CRM, and the CRM follows up with them. So,
0: excellent, excellent. And with regards to that follow up, um, can you talk a little bit about that follow up process? How you'd, um, I suppose, after the initial no or the not yet, how would you go about following up? Would it be an email, a text, a phone call, or a mixture?
1: Yeah. So it's a mixture of stuff. So basically um, what you want, you just, uh, most of the deals come from follow-up and most people as soon they get their rejection, they forget. And they, so you, in, in marketing you have front end and you have back end. So front end is where you all go, go and hunt the, the lead. The back end is where you basically uh, get most of the deals is where, you know, people get more motivated and you get the deal. So, Most people focus on front end, but most people have nothing in the back end. So why, you know, most of the deals come in the back end. So it's very important to have systems in place that follow up in the back end. So the system works like this after the first contact and made an offer or the offer is rejected. If it's a deal I put in the CRM, so the CRM will send them a text message and next month we send them uh, email the third month we send them a, a postcard or, or I remind them uh, one of my team to call. And what we do, we don't talk about the profit. We just concentrate on the vendor, you know, how are you? You know, I hope you're well, you know, we spoke a few months ago. I just wanted to see if the sale of your property is going well, you know, you know, something like that, you know, if you need any help, we are we're here to assist you or whatever, whatever. So we just focus on the vendor and see, you know, um, you know, normally they come back to us, you know, sometimes they don't. And uh, but that's where the CRM is there for.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds brilliant. I mean, it sounds like you're more so building a relationship with the vendor instead of making it so transactional. So instead of ringing back after two or three months saying, will you accept my offer now? You're ringing back and saying, hey, how's it going? How are you getting on? I hope the sale is going okay. So it's a lot more of the the relationship building, which is very good. And I think that's kind of what helps you stand out from other people. Um, you see a lot of people are just all about the numbers. But, I mean, property is a people business.
1: Definitely. Property is just a people business, definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So um, we talked about your plans going forward. You're going to stick with the same strategies with the, with the luxury HMOs. Um, in terms of the HMOs that you have, and with, with with getting it fitted out to a good standard and all the rest, um, do you have a team in place to do that? Uh, I know, you, well, I know you have a team in place to do that, but, um, like, what, why would you go for the the higher end now than say like the typical, you know, average HMO?
1: Yeah, so the market is changing, and uh, and, and and to be very honest, this is my opinion, I might be wrong, but I believe there is um. Uh, oversupply in HMOs at the moment. So uh, not every, everywhere, but uh, so, and I believe, for example, the people that are in the lower end of the market, um, people are becoming more choosy because they don't have, they can't buy properties. So then they're like, you know, if I can't afford a room, I wanted to live in the, in the best room I can afford. So those that are doing, I do, I do believe there's market for everywhere, everyone, but, you know, I wanted to differentiate myself the reason why my company started was, you know, when I was a student, I was renting a room, my landlord was an amazing guy, but the room was, it was really bad. So, and I, uh, you know, I wanted to change that. So that is my company mission. We wanted to provide rooms and houses that people are very proud to live in. And, you know, they bring their friends. We we offer PlayStation, Netflix, you know, some of the houses are cinema rooms, so, um Yes, it's something that excites me. I can't just buy properties, to be very honest. So uh, that's uh, my company mission, yeah.
0: Decent, yeah. And if I mean, it's one of those things where if you have it done up to such a good spec, people are going to stay longer. They have a better quality of life. They're going to recommend it. In your stick, you're sticking out from the crowd. Once you get someone in there, you know they're going to be a quality tenant. And um, it really makes sense um yeah no that's wonderful i mean it's it's excellent that you came onto this podcast now and uh, there's lots of very very good information um if anyone wanted to reach out and get in contact with you where can they where can they get in contact
1: so they can contact me on facebook um i'm reaching five i think five thousand friends now but uh, i still have a couple of them and then you know they can follow them on facebook i'm more active on facebook i create a youtube channel now and also i have um i instagram finally have instagram my goodness yeah. uh yeah so they Yeah. so if they um basically both opponents and yeah they will find me
0: excellent perfect well walter thanks very much for coming on today and i'm sure we'll catch up again sometime um you've had a very very successful journey so far and it's only just beginning um you're still very early stages in your journey and uh, very looking forward to it's very much looking forward to seeing how you get on in the future so yeah thanks very yeah. much
1: Thank you for having me, my friend. Thank
0: you. Thank you. We talk with entrepreneurs about property, business, and everything in between, providing you with a deep dive into their years of knowledge and experience to help kickstart your property journey.